It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, 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 thanks for joining us. Real quick promise, please find us and follow us at Mistreat Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We have curated content on Pinterest and Flipboard. Check out our channels on TikTok and YouTube, and if you would be so kind, like that famous prince we all know, please show us some love and rate and review us. Positive vibes only, right? But first... Champagne. I am your host, Carrie, like the movie, but not as scary. And this is <laughs> Larissa, not like the movie and completely scary. So there you have it. <laughs> well, let's give a little background really quick to remind people what, who you are, what you've done. You are an E! Truly Hollywood producer. Yes, I produced for E for a number of years, probably about 60 shows between True Hollywood Stories, Howard Stern, Wild On, and then I went out on my own and started developing shows on my own, pitching those. I've had shows on TLC. God. You did a uh, documentary yeah. filmmaker, which I yes, love that. That's my so first sexy and smart. documentary was on the war in Bosnia in Croatia. It was called Terror in the Balkans, the breakup of Yugoslavia. I think there's a recently an episode about Croatia with bodies they found. Oh, those were uh, from like 15,000 years ago. Okay, let's they just did. pretend they that did. was more recent. Was- but I was like, I thought of you immediately. Now, if they find anything in Croatia, anything yeah, remote, like, I, yes, I'm going to totally think of you. No, it's it's crazy because that was the first thing I did when I was about 21, 22. I'm like, I'm going to a war zone. That's and so my parents, I can't believe my parents let me. That was the thing. Like I was doing it whether they wanted me to or not. And when I look back on it, it was, it was pretty stupid because we were in some danger in a lot of times, a lot of times we were in danger. Did you ever watch the old Vice episodes when it was on HBO and there's this kind of semi like kind of goofy kid on there? Hi, it's Thomas. I'm in uh, the Kurdish part of Syria with the uh, fighters of the YPG who are doing their best to make this Kurdish land a Kurdish country. That they like, he has like dark brown hair, wavy with glasses. And he'll, oh, yes, you know which one I'm talking about? Yes, and they'll send him into the war zone and his Kevlar helmet looks, or looks too big for his head. Yes. Or his I've Kevlar vest or whatever. And he'll have his, you know, he- helmet or they send him to Asia to be like a stand in white person. You can rent a white person, I guess, out there. Oh my <laughs> like, god! Like, yeah, I always, every time he goes on, I'm like, did they sit around and set him up on purpose for of the course. segments that he gets stuck on? <laughs> oh my god! All right, well, let's dig in because we have lots of topics today. Yay! What's the deal? The lifetime. So, what's the catch? There was a crime, a, a murder in the house. And several people, a family. The Amityville horror killer who killed family in 1974 dies in prison. Finally, thank God. Yeah, so Ronald DeFeo was 69. He was shot dead his mother, father, and four siblings in their beds, inspiring the movie about the haunted Long Island house. He died in prison. I think there was even a recent movie a few years ago with Ryan Reynolds in it, yes. which it's always weird when you see him in certain roles. But like, when the, the made-for-TV movies, didn't they make it seem like it was the father who... Like the one that was made in the 70s, wasn't it the father that killed the family? A mob killing was quickly ruled out, and the police began to focus on the only surviving member of the family, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. From the beginning, Butch DeFeo, Ronnie DeFeo Jr., was suspected. He was originally not arrested. He was taken into protective custody. They decided now they're going to take Ireland's house, which was next door, and turn that into their command post. So they took us all over there. Next thing I know, they had him in my house and they were questioning him. That went on for some time until his grandfather showed up. A police officer heard Ronnie's grandfather tell him, you'll stop throwing the family name in the mud. 
I don't want to hear anything more about your sister. Just admit to the murders. It's over. I told them in the beginning things that were true. But, you know, they get the pressure off of me. Yeah, this was the, the brother. brother. The real Amityville horror is the brother, mm-hmm. correct? Yes, but but yes. So they probably made it the father in the original. I never actually watched the original. The ones that uh, turned me off to any scary movies was I watched Poltergeist when I was oh. little. This is the one that Carrie Ann. That one scared me forever. Oh, yeah. Really that one and the one, the possession one, the first one that everyone, uh, oh, my God. Something beyond comprehension is happening to a little girl on the street in this house. What's the first possession film ever? Uh, you know, Exorcist. Oh, God, why? How can I not? Yeah, the stairs are here in Georgetown. I remember my friend totally scared me that the youngest priest was at Fordham. See, I couldn't watch that movie until I was about 23. And even when I was 23, <laughs> we were on a film set and there were the crew. We all watched it one night. I made four other people from the crew sleep in my room on the floor <laughs> with the lights on because I was terrified. A possession movies freak me out. That's all. Uh, yeah, no. I think I think when you have certain roles where children are involved, I hope that they have people on the set psychiatrists and stuff to support yes. them because I, otherwise i feel like it's almost abuse it's got to be traumatizing to them so did he die did defeo die of natural causes or was he shivved i think he died of natural causes do you think the mystique is gonna pass now because he's gone or do you think it's just gonna reawaken oh, the stories of haunting that's and a all tough that? one i mean those always sell they always sell so I think no matter if he's dead or alive, people probably already thought he was dead. Okay, got another one for you. Trustees at NYC's Museum of Modern Art asked billionaire investor Leon Black to quit as board chairman over ties to Epstein. Fears it could jeopardize access to his personal art collection that includes The Ooh. Scream. Fund manager paid $148 million to Epstein after his first arrest in Florida. What? Like, what's the deal? He paid Epstein $148 million? Yeah. In January, he stepped down as head of his fund, Apollo Global Management. But they said that he had ties to Epstein. Like, why would you give that much money? Because there's pictures and videotape and Ghislaine knows where they're at. So do you think think he was blackmailing them? Uh, Leon Black paid something like $158 million to Epstein uh, over the course of 2012 to 2017. And that was basically for his personal tax affairs. So Liam Black's got a fortune of about $10 billion. And the law firm's saying the reason he paid Epstein, as you say, a convicted pedophile, $158 million was because he saved him about $1 to $2 billion in potential tax charges. Oh, absolutely. Wasn't that the whole thing is Ghislaine wanted like her father blackmail people way back in the day? Oh, yes. That's an episode of Conspiracy on Netflix. We need to cover her father yes. because whether that was intentional, whether that was a killing or was it a suicide? I 100% believe Epstein and Maxwell uh, blackmail people. I think that was really their strong. Personally, I think that's how they made millions Black accounted for 85% of the fees paid to Epstein at his Southern Trust Company following his 2008 conviction through his arrest in July 2019 on federal sex trafficking charges. The findings were revealed. This is from an article from UK Daily Mail, and you can check Mm -hmm. it in our show notes. The findings were revealed Thursday, just months after Black requested the company's conflicts committee to retain outside counsel to conduct an independent and thorough review. Do you... But Epstein didn't have art that this guy would buy, did he? I mean, I don't think he would buy art from Epstein. The committee said Apollo never retained Epstein for any services and Epstein never invested in any of Apollo managed funds. So there was definitely something going on. Oh, there's some. But you're not hearing about this shit. Like 148 million. That's a chunk of change. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's some definite. There's got to be something heinous that he (laughs) buys. I don't understand how you can even bring down people without, I mean, literally, who was it? Who's the little guy? Really funny. He was being extorted for money and he went to the cops. Little guy. Was he a little person? A comedian? Comedian. Comedian. Was he a little person or was he? 
No, just board. Oh, so we're not talking about, talking about Funny guy. No. No. I know. I think he does have a sexy out there, actually. Uh, who's the guy? You know who I'm talking about. He has the baby. Kevin his Hart? wife just had another baby. Yes, Kevin Hart. Okay. He was being extorted. Oh, he was. But he was being extorted by a woman, right? His reps are calling a failed extortion attempt. I feel like I have a target on my back. And because of that, I should make smart decisions. And recently... I didn't. The FBI is reportedly investigating a video showing Hart with a woman who isn't his wife. An extorter allegedly demanding millions of dollars from Hart, one of the highest paid comedians in the world. I know that I'm going to hurt the people closest to me, who I've talked to and apologized to. No, by his friend, his own friend took the video and set him up. And he has this group of inner click people that he only trusts to keep him out of trouble around him. And he was betrayed by somebody who knew him. But how do you extort 148 million out of somebody? Epstein was lucky he didn't get a hitman or something or killed even before then. I, I mean, I think there were too many people in on the secret for that to happen. Honestly, and it was all running so smoothly that, you know, there were a lot of people involved in that. And we still haven't gotten to Andrew. Uh, I was about to say, do you think the royal family now is, I mean, Zara Tyndall had some deals going with, I think he was Chinese businessman. When I say that, I'm saying he's from China. Mm-hmm. They run commercials of her and her brother, or no, her brother over in China or Hong Kong. But do you think the royal family is going to be more picky and choosy who they're doing these deals oh, with? Absolutely. They have to be. They have to be. Like, will everything have to be vetted by the palace, absolutely. even if you're not a quote-unquote working absolutely. royal? Absolutely. Just because Andrew stepped in it so bigly. Just for the record, you've been on his private plane. Yes. You've been to stay on his private island. Yes. You've stayed at his home in Palm Beach. Yes. You visited Gillen Maxwell's house in Belgravia in London? Yes. So in 2006, in May, an arrest warrant was issued for Epstein for sexual assault of a minor. Yes. In July, he was invited to Windsor Castle to your daughter, Princess Beatrice's 18th birthday. Why would you do that? Because I was asking Gillen. But even so, at the time, I don't think... I um, certainly I wasn't aware when the invitation was issued what was going on in the United States, and I wasn't aware until until the media picked up on it because he never said anything about it. Yeah, now you ruined it for all yeah, of us. Like, Thanks, Andrew. Oh my God! Now we have to bet everyone. Are you kidding me? Uh, one of Hollywood's most notorious and public scandals. We talked about this on our Lost episode i feel like uh maybe woody had a deal with what happened with our last episode we had to re-record alan v farrow it was a four-part documentary series they just wrapped it up over the weekend and it chronicles the accusation of sexual abuse against woody allen involving his then seven-year-old daughter with mia farrow and the controversial aftermath Mia reportedly has a video of their daughter, Dylan, explaining how Alan molested her. Alan denies child abuse, but freely admits he's in love with another of Pharaoh's daughters, 21-year-old Soon Yi. There was a stack of Polaroid pictures. All of them were of my own child. I remember struggling to breathe. What were your thoughts on the series? Did your perception of Alan change and do you think Ronan more importantly is Frank Sinatra's I'm just teasing about that last part well okay okay uh I watched I I haven't watched part four yet so I've watched the three I I think Mia Farrow took a lot of heat for this when it was happening because everyone idolized Woody Allen I think there's a lot of validity to it uh it's very strange for a man who didn't want children his whole life to all of a sudden be that attached to an adopted child. He didn't even want any part of the adoption. And then they adopted Dylan and he was stuck to her like glue. And I mean, the audio recordings and the video recordings in the documentary seemed very authentic to me. I think I would feel differently if I didn't have a child. 
uh, knowing that children just say what's on their mind. I mean, even my kid at 10, just now he's starting to kind of be calculated on what he says, but I know when he was, when he was, you know, even up to eight, he's he's just going to tell you what on his, what's on his mind. And yes, I know kids can be coached, but it was very, those videos were very valid. You could tell, you know, they were blurry. She just whipped the camera out and started asking little girl questions. And also he must have had his eye on Suni, even when she was 15, 16, 17. Oh, she was, he did. He did. And there, I mean, one of the maids came forward and said that she found proof. It, regardless, he knew that child since she was 10. That was an inappropriate relationship, whether she was minor or an adult at 18. I believe it happened when she was a minor. Yeah. If you listen to the companion podcast, which Grant Rudder from Grant's Rants is producing right now, it really gives into how the doc came together. And it has actual psychiatrists on there. And so I do believe it even more so after listening to the podcast. And I just think the timing was unfortunate. I don't know if he was feeling this desperation to connect with Dylan or he thought that now that him and Mia were having this separate relationship and he wasn't being supervised as much with the child, with Mia being there, he wasn't to be left alone with her. Yeah then maybe he thought that he could cross the boundaries or he did it in the moment. But, and the fact that the psychiatrist even said, even the child can perceive his behavior as crossing the line. It's not okay. I didn't want to see him. But if I said, no, go away, I would have to face some kind of vicious, unpredictable punishment. At one point, we were all sitting at the dinner table and we were eating spaghetti. And I thought I was being funny by calling him Woody instead of Daddy. And he was getting progressively more agitated by his, no, you have to call me Daddy. Do not call me that. Call me Daddy. Do not call me Woody. You know, I couldn't resist looking over one more time and just being Woody. And he grabs me by the back of my neck and shoves my face down into my plate of hot spaghetti. And that was sort of when I realized that that's what happens if I say no. Doing what he says is the only way to protect myself. And the fact of like that New York psychiatrist, probably in awe of Woody Allen, Probably, a, I don't know if it was a male or a female, but even that old school mentality of Dr. Spock's and sex, sex education with children, the schools of thought of even psychology have kind of evolved over time yeah. from that time period to now. And I have no doubt that it did not happen. I, I would love our behavioral panelist guys to break oh down my God. his. And, and look at it. Look at his body of work during that time period. It was all about relationships between older men and extremely young women, like 17, 18. It was crazy. There's such a talent pool of people that are just waiting to be the next Woody Allen or Roman Polanski or Louis C.K. Why do we keep giving chances to some of these people or why do they get these passes? They're not that they're not that special. They really are. No, I've. I think I've sat through two Woody Allen movies from beginning to end. I've never really found him. He's not really my, that genre is really not my type. So yeah, the, the documentary really opened up some, a can of worms and made me look deeper into questions that I had. And it makes sense. It really does. She was hurt, but even her past relationship with Previn mm -hmm. and all that, they even said that she was not spiteful with her exes. Previn left her for her best friend. She wanted to forgive Soon Yi. And I think that she was kind of an easy mark for Alan. I, she was so manipulated and so occluded by him. He was kind of an easy mark for him to even turn Moses against her, who hero worshipped. He just wanted a father yeah. figure. And I think when you watch it, yeah, she might be like a little quirky earth mother, whatever. But when you watch it, I really feel bad. And even though she's not the one that perpetrated this betrayal of her child, she still will blame herself or she'll still be like, what could I have done different? Yeah. It was Woody's world and, and it was very controlled. I didn't have an agent anymore because I was with him. You know, I did not need an agent. He said I could share his agent. I didn't at that time believe that I could get an agent because I was old. I was in my 30s. 
I felt he was just doing me a giant favor, you know. I saw him little by little eroding her self-esteem, eroding her sense of self. He didn't like Mia to see her friends. He just wanted to isolate her. I, I don't know what was behind his saying cruel things to her, whether or not he believed it or whether it was just a tactic to kick her down so that she'd be more under his rule. But she made up reasons for his behavior. She said, oh, he's just in a bad mood. But, you know, there, there were strategies that she used to pull herself back into the time period where she and Woody were happy. And by the way, I used to think Ronan was Frank Sinatra's kid yeah, that's just because he looks so much like him. But then now that I see, now that I see pictures of her family, her father and my, they have a lot of blondies in that family and a lot of blue eyes. So I think those two totally could have been latent genes coming forward. So I mentioned and alluded to the behavioral panel on YouTube. I'm completely obsessed. Jody from Reality TV Podcast turned us on to this. <laughs> so yes, the yes. world, their four body language. I actually pulled their description, body language and behavioral experts. A lot of times, uh, three out of the four, I think did military interrogation and department of justice. And they teach classes on in body language and all that. Wow. They analyze body language and human behavior and videos of public interest. So one of them, Chase actually also has a psychology, very much more behavioral psychology background as well. And they're nonpartisan. So they've done uh, one of them. Mark is actually British. So they've done everything from political videos. They've done JonBenet Ramsey, the mother. They did Peterson oh or gosh, Scott I Peterson. Have to watch that one. Oh, wow. And they did the Megan and Harry interview. Harry interview. I did watch that one. That was fascinating. Now, every time, like if you blink twice or something, I'm looking at you like, or if you're saying I did not do that or whatever, I'm like, you're not doing contractions. Oh, by the way, what was I watching last? Oh, I was watching. <laughs> so this is kind of off topic. I was watching Married at First Sight Australia. And okay, our audience cannot see my eyes, but it was since I've been watching their videos, <laughs> the behavior panelists, I've been watching their videos. Now I'm like analyzing when someone drops a bombshell on someone. So this virgin marries this girl, right? They seem to have a good relationship. He's not really coming out of his shell, but you know, he's not real into PDA and they're sitting on the couch. And this is like a week after they were married. She goes, well, I have something I'll have to tell you. And he's like, what? And she goes, I used to be a lesbian. And his eyes, literally his eyes, look, watch my eyes. <laughs> They're blinking so fast. It looks like he's having a stroke. Oh my God. And I'm like, oh, the, the behavior specialist would have a field day with this guy because it's such rapid blinking. I'm like, are you in a windstorm? What's going on? Did you know every guy that's been in a public sex scandal, they all make the same face, which they impersonate the face. And it's true. You know, if you do Spitzer, what is it? Uh, Bill Clinton, they do this like, you look to the left. Oh, yeah, I have to. I have to go look. Grimace, smirk, kind of face. They even indicated who they think talked about this color of the skin of the baby, just by the thickness of Harry's accent. Uh, ooh, that's right. That's right. That's right. They really don't think Prince Harry mm -hmm. really. He wants it to be better with the family, but he really doesn't have any actually hope for it. He doesn't think it's going to get better. I mean, there's so much there. Yeah. Oh, I know. I am, I'm just going to binge their videos. I used to binge reality TV, and now I just want to binge the behavior. In Italy, it was called the trial of the century. Three weeks ago in a Milan courtroom, 51-year-old Patrizia Reggiani was convicted of the murder of her former husband, the multimillionaire Maurizio Gucci, the last in the Gucci dynasty to run the family firm. Maurizio was shot at point-blank range, and died in a pool of blood in the foyer of his new offices. The only photograph I've seen of Dr. Gucci laying dead, and you could see the face uh, distorted by the shot in the head. And, and for a split of a second, I said, uh, the bitch deserves it. I've been completely obsessed with the photos that have been released of Adam Driver and Lady Gaga filming that new Gucci movie. 
Have you seen the photos? It's no. 1970s chic at its no. best. Oh, it's glorious. It. Is it good? Yes, Does it look I want like to wear the costumes so bad. It looks completely glorious. Like I really hope they bring back the that 1970s Italian chic. Oh my god, you have to send those over to me. Especially Gucci chic. It's way different than polyester chic. Oh, I want the sunglasses. I want the feathered hair. <laughs> That's me now. <sighs> I used to think I looked really good in big sunglasses until, uh, no, I don't. I really don't. I, even even my sister one day, she's like, what are those? Those look terrible. Oh my God. Take those off. Well, cause you kind of have like a small features too. You kind of, I don't I have the biggest face in the world. No. It's, oh God. Thank you. But no, I have like a big head. So <gasps> it's the worst if I go places and you have to get like a helmet. <laughs> don't approach me with like a female size like helmet. <laughs> they can't even get over like, like no. the top. Yeah. Get back, back off, back off with that. Give, bring over the dudes one and I'll be <laughs> Give fine. me my yeah. man helmet. The Colonel and I went racing indoors and my helmet was bigger than his. What? Yes. Yeah, so it's so embarrassing. And then <laughs> he was like self-conscious about it. So he wanted like the same size as me. And they're like, no, sorry. And it was like falling down over his eyes. <laughs> okay. The name Gucci is a symbol of elite glamour across the whole globe. It's an international high fashion powerhouse. The Gucci logo is something that people want to buy into because it really is a symbol of success. But behind the scenes of the family-run business lurks deception, scandal, and violence. People magazines did a show called Crimes of Fashion. Great name, by the way. It's, I actually trust the TV show more because they had the investigators on there. They had the people writers on there versus her Wikipedia. Because if you read her Wikipedia, she makes it sound like he just like left her for a younger woman saying he was going on a short business trip and did not even come back. No, who? hers. Uh, uh, Gucci. Yes. If you look up the wife's Wikipedia, the Gucci widow, uh-huh. if you look up her Wikipedia, there's a lot of inaccuracies in the beginning. Oh. But if you watch the show, the woman's actually on there, the Gucci widow who is like all over Italy right now. And she's upset. Lady Gaga won't, won't meet her. Oh, you have the investigators and you have the people writers on there and people that actually knew him. So the way this story starts is, and I'm going to give it to you conversationally. This is okay. not me being like a true crime podcaster. I'm talking to you friend to friend here. Yes. Dude starts the company. The dad's the grandfather starts the company. And he's like, I see all these Europeans traveling. I'm going to start a, a leather suitcase company what year was this like probably like early like 30s yeah like early 1900s right then two sons inherit it one had three sons one had just one son Mm -hmm. so the two brothers inherit it and then their cousins are all fighting over the company Hmm. yeah and the one son is the one we're talking about he was Maurizio which I'm hoping I say that properly that's right that is non-Italian Gucci he was the solo son. He was the single son of the one. And his mom had died at five and his dad was very overbearing. So he was kind of shyer. Yeah. If you looked at him, he was very good looking as he aged because he was 46 when he died. But as he aged, he's a little bit on the dorky side. He was wearing like those glasses that you would see in like 1980s movies or like Star Wars or like big dark rimmed glasses. Yes. Yeah. Like dorkier, you know, and <laughs> he marries this woman, Patrizia. The move to New York in 1972 is a turning point for Maurizio, as well as Patrizia, both just 24 years old. Aldo, he welcomes them both, not only Maurizio, but he welcomes also Patrizia. They're this young, fabulous Italian it couple, throwing parties at the hottest New York night spots, and they're even socializing with the Kennedys. She loved the prestige of Gucci and she was very overbearing. She got him into this psychic. Uh-huh. He was very dependent on her emotionally. I don't think his father originally even approved of her. Was she of a lower status? Well, she said that she was a wealthy Italian socialite and a high fashion per- personality, but take it as what you perceive yeah, that to yeah, be. Yeah. Okay. But she was very clingy. She wanted a role in the company. At one point, they moved to New York with the uncle or bottom of apartment and all that. So fast forward. They come back stateside, or I'm sorry, stateside, Italy, and 
they're separated. He, and the cousin who's also a writer says that's because he like grew up. He wanted his own identity. Uh He finally got out from underneath her thumb. They had two girls and she was shocked. She thought that they would just stay together indefinitely. She didn't really think he'd have enough nerves. So for nine years, they were separated. And then he meets another woman that he's known since childhood. So they weren't divorced, divorced at this point, just separated. No, not for nine years. Even though the wiki says that he went on a trip, he basically went out for milk and never came back. That's not true. (laughs) Like they were, they were separated for nine years, but it really pissed her off when he bought this because at one point, I think they lost part of the company. Oh, okay. But he was going to go invest in a casino. And the reason why that's even important is originally they thought that maybe one of these like shady mob ties to a casino might have killed him, but it really wasn't. Everything was on the up and up. So he had a downturn of fortune, and then it was coming back again. Mm. So he buys this big, humongous apartment, and he, ha- he founds this love that he's known since he was a child, and he has two daughters that love him. And so his life has come together. And so she becomes more and more dependent on the psychic that becomes her only friend. And she's so the, eaten up with bitterness. The new love that he found is a love that he has known. It's not his wife. It's a different no. one that he's known since he was a child. Okay. Yes, exactly. So he's getting with her and he says, I'm going to divorce you. So she gets us a she gets a really good divorce settlement. She gets alimony. She gets lump sum payment and she gets child support, the whole deal. But she's not happy with that. And she still just keeps seeing the psychic. Though Patrizia and Maurizio are part of the wealthy European elite, there is one unusual woman from outside their social circle who becomes their most trusted advisor, self-professed psychic Pina Oriema. This woman is from a totally different world than the Gucci's. She reads tarot cards and tea leaves and really believes that she can predict the future. And they both listen to her. At one point when they were together, the psychic was even telling him and her, Maurizio and Patrizia, that you can't, they were telling one of their business people, you can't fly today. Cause I think the plane is going to go down. Oh God. So they were taking every, it's very Reagan. <laughs> taking every cue from the psychic. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. So she's like completely, completely, completely obsessed with him and the fact that he's moving on and she doesn't want to lose her status in society. Cause she would still introduce herself as Mrs. Gucci and all that on 27 March, 1995. She, her ex-husband was shot and killed by a hitman on the steps outside of his office as he arrived to work. Now, they had been officially divorced since 1991. So think about how much anger was festering in those four years. And in 1992, she actually had a brain tumor, which was removed without any negative consequences. But can you imagine she's probably still going to her psychic and the psychic is like, oh, she was. He is having fun with his new wife. He does not think about you. Uh, you must yes. kill him. No. Did, did she kill exactly. him? Exactly. That's what it was going. Yeah. So this is what happened. So in January of 97, she went on trial for his murder because I guess she had went through the psychic and was like, I need you to help me find somebody to kill him. Stop it. You never do that. Oh, my God. Of course. Well, and you know what? You know why they ended up dropping dimes on her? She never followed through the payment. She had promised to like pay them like 300000 She never followed through. Didn't give really? Them payment. Oh my God. I love how you said dropping dimes. Yeah, okay, pinky blinders. <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying over here. I'm okay, we're going to go get the bad guy today. <laughs> Even on the day of the murder, she remains consumed by her anger. It was early in the morning when I received the telephone call of my nanny saying that Maurizio was shot. I was very happy because all my problems were gone. And then I started to feeling very lost. And she was sentenced to 29 years in prison. She was known as like the Black Widow in the headlines. Her daughters had actually said, can you please overturn her conviction because this brain tumor ruined her personality. But in 2000, an appeals court in Milan upheld it, but reduced the sentence to 26 years. Oh, was she tried it? This is in Italy. This is in the US. Yeah, Yeah, no. She tried to commit suicide by hanging herself with a shoelace, but was rescued. 
Now, in October That's 2011, one hell of a long shoelace, right? Yeah. Okay. So in October 2011, she was offered the possibility of open prison, but she refused, saying, "I've never worked it in my life, and I'm not going to start now." So she stayed in Ooh. prison five more years Ooh. after serving 18 years. The sentence was cut short due to time off for good behavior. Oh, she's a gold digger. Way over time. That digs on me. And in 2017, she was uh, awarded an annuity from the state due to the agreement that was signed in 1993. But the And the court also gave her back payment too. But the two daughters who are administering the estate is actually trying to fight that because... They're like, well, why should she profit off of our dads? Yeah. So she says that they blackmailed her. And because Lee was like, if you don't give us X amount of money, we're going to say you did it. There, She went to jail for it and served 18 years. And now she's all over Italy. Is she out? So she's out and she's, how old is she now? Uh, she was born in 48. But what I don't get is why the daughters like wanted her to get out earlier. But then when she got out there... No, you can't have anything. She, she we don't want, like you anymore. Yeah, she, they didn't want her all the money because I think they just thought she was wrapped up in the money and all that. Didn't want her to profit. Uh-huh. I mean, I wouldn't want my kids to profit off their dad's killing if they had something to do with it. Do the daughters still keep in touch with her or are they? I don't know. I mean, they, I don't know. I don't know. They didn't go over in crimes of fashion. I don't trust that much on the Wikipedia thing because that's the beautiful. They made thing. it sound like he went to like like. Oh, I'm going to go get some milk. I'm going right to get the milk. I'll be back in five minutes. This is no problem. Yeah, I. That's... Yeah, he de- he was killed at 46, and he did become a cutie. Did he? They age well. Yeah. Yeah, and he was really cute. He had blue eyes and Aww. tall and. He's happy, a little spring in his step, just going on his way to work. I used to go to work, uh, maybe see my mistress. He said, no problem. I'll be back. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the Gucci story. Oh, and my god! I can't wait to see how Adam Driver plays him. Yeah, because Adam Driver, well, I guess he's kind of the dorky kind in the beginning. But um, yeah, we'll see how he, you know, speaking of couples, uh, we have some pregnancy news. Oh, and it's not me. So my good friend, Elizabeth Holmes, she's not my friend, but uh, I don't know if you remember the Theranos scandal where Mm -hmm. the Elizabeth Holmes, who talks like this, she's very deep. She changed her voice. Actually, you (laughs) need to pull some drops. She changed her voice from when she was young. She was like, hi, I'm Elizabeth. And then when she started Theranos, she's going to talk like this to be taken seriously. We think. Our goal is to be within five miles of every person's home through the Walgreens nationally. Our success will be in being able to make it possible for no one to ever have to go through the process of being stabbed by a big needle to get blood anymore and be able to begin to get access. To the- Theranos founder is pregnant and her lawyers want to push her trial. They want to delay her trial. Now, the daddy is 29-year-old Billy Evans. He's a... I cannot imagine her as a mom. No. Can you imagine her in labor going, push, push, push. <laughs> and then, you know, telling the baby, drop that, don't eat that. You know, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine it. So she's married him at 29. And, you know, it's like like she's pregnant. So the Lord is basically saying unto this crazy criminal baritone genius, I bestow a child. <laughs> I mean, how would you like to have her as your mom? She's probably going to be locked up. How did she get that dude? How did she get the dude? He's a cute dude. He's know. the heir of some fortune. But she should He's be. much younger than her. She should be locked up already. And And the problem is no one wants to have a prison baby. I mean, they're going to fight. They're going to fight that tooth and nail. Do you think she's using the baby to try to get a lesser sentence or house yes, arrest? I do. I do. So she's, so to give you background on Theranos, it was like a biotech company that was going to take, you know, how when you go get blood drawn, you have about five vials and they basically take a pint when you need to have testing. Yes. So she supposedly engineered, which by the way, this seems fishy. I got, I got most of my information from wall street journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, which there, the author John Carreyrou did this big investigation for like three or four years. He's amazing. He's a rock star. He won a Pulitzer, not for this story, but he's won a Pulitzer for other stories. And he did a deep dive into this. 
And, and then he started confiding in me and unburdening himself. Um, and I learned at that point in our first conversation, which lasted about an hour, that Theranos uh, had a device named the Edison that actually handled only a, a small fraction of the 250 blood tests on its menu, and that uh, 200, about 240 of the 250 tests were done with just regular commercial machines bought from third-party manufacturers with one twist, which was that a lot of those other 240 tests were done on, a, on a, one particular Siemens machine that Theranos had hacked to uphold the myth that it could test tiny samples wow. of blood pricked from a finger. Even though the manufacturer said, no, no. Right. The, one of the ways that they hacked the machine and adapted it to small samples was to dilute the blood oh. in a saline solution uh, to create more volume because, of course, these commercial machines were used to handling regular-sized blood samples. Right. But the, the company was, she was going to take this little, it looked like almost like a, like the size of a vitamin C capsule or a Tylenol PM. And she was going to take a drop of blood from your fingertip, a prick of blood. These were, these little machines were going to be installed in Walgreens all over the country. And they were going to take a little prick of your blood and diagnose you. They claimed to be able to do a blood test for over 250, you know, diseases or anything that you wanted a blood test for cholesterol over 250. In reality, it could maybe run five of those successfully and not even successfully because when did what ended up happening is the machine didn't work at all. Now she dropped out of Stanford at 19 with maybe two semesters. And, you know, there's a lot of people who dropped out of Harvard, Stanford, all these different universities, <laughs> but they're in tech. So you can easily teach yourself how to code and program when you're younger. You don't need a medical degree. She dropped out a second semester, no biology degree, no medical degree. And she's like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change the world <laughs> with my Tylenol PM capsule that does blood, <laughs> blood sampling. So she jumps into this and she gets hundreds of millions of dollars. God knows how she worked her magic, but she got hundreds of million dollars for this startup. She has a, a partner who was actually the president of the company, Sammy Balwani. Do you think they were having an affair? I definitely think because they lived they lived together. Yes, they, right? I think they were. But she would never admit to that. By the way, she <laughs> she ended up. I'm going to dress in all black because I want to be the next Steve Jobs. So she would wear these like black pantsuits, and if you watch the documentary on HBO, which is really amazing, I mean, it's just it, they did a great job of just showing. Black pantsuit after black pantsuit after black pantsuit. Oh, turtleneck, turtleneck, turtleneck. It was, it's like a uniform. She was yeah. truly of another, of another brand. So, um, so it all blows up because there were a few whistleblowers. So I'm going to give you a quick timeline of the company. So it basically started in 2004, where she raises $6.9 million. This is with grants, and um, the valuation of the company was $30 million. By two, That's something wrong. Yeah. By 2007, the company valuation hits nearly $200 million. And if you ask, one of the, one of the main people I'm going to talk about is Tyler Schultz. He was an employee. Now, this is a young kid, like fresh out of college, I think a biotech degree, his grandfather is George Schultz, which was the Secretary of State under Reagan. Is he was he the blonde one in the documentary? Is he the one that is be, has so many lawsuits against him, or was that somebody? No, else? no, 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 no. I first met Elizabeth in my grandfather's living room. So he had called me up and said that he was going to have some brilliant woman over uh, to have a discussion. He thought that I would be interested in coming, so I went to his house. Is me, my grandfather, Elizabeth, and Diane Feinstein was there as well. Elizabeth kind of pitched her dream of changing the way diagnostics is done, really revolutionizing the field. Yeah, I was totally gung-ho about Theranos. I was ex really excited about what she was talking about. I really wanted to know what the technology was. Um, and I actually asked her in that meeting if I could intern there over the summer. I said, do you, do you guys take interns? Like, I want to work on this. This sounds amazing. Uh, George Schultz is, he passed, but he was like 97 or 98. He passed in the yeah. last few years. He was one of the most brilliant economists and he was a huge political figure. 
George Schultz is like a big power hitter name. I feel like you should get a valuation until you actually sell a product. Well, they had made this big deal with Walgreens that they were going to put these in all of Walgreens across the United States. So they did put them in some in Arizona and California. So by 2010, Theranos raises $45 million and Theranos is valued at $1 billion. 2013, Theranos announces itself to the public. 2013, Theranos announces Walgreens partnership. So here they go into this Walgreens partnership. At Theranos value in 2014, their value exceeded $9 billion. 2014, Elizabeth delivers a TED talk. <laughs> uh, that had to be fascinating, I tell you. 2015, Theranos is criticized by some in the medical community. So people are starting to see gaps. And there was a... Does she know Meghan Markle? I'm going to cut that out. (laughs) She does. Then in 2015, the Theranos test was approved by the FDA. And you want to know how that happened? So what they did is no one at the company believed the machine would work because it wouldn't work. All the vials, all those little like vitamin vials that look like a little... Capsule. Yeah, the one where she's like the Tic Tac. Yeah, they, like they would break. They would break. They would shatter. The blood would spill all over the place. They just didn't work. No one had confidence that they would work. So what they would do is they would get all these samples that had been taken from the little capsules. They'd take that blood, mix it with water, which dilutes it. Well, some some blood you have to mix with water to dilute it a little bit, but it's a very, very fine yeah. amount. They would water it down so much that any any test that would be run on it would be inaccurate. When Elizabeth says the whole process was automated from start to finish, it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a stretch. It would sometimes take six hours just to set up the system before we could even run the patient samples. I was like filling up containers, doing so many manual things with my, my hands. And the scary thing about the nanotainers was they could hop off your tray and they would be on the ground and you might not be able to spot them. And they also shipped it out to like LabCorp, all the other traditional places to get the answer. So their machines weren't even doing the work. They had this machine and I forget, it's, it's made by a German company. I forgot what it was, but it does all the testing for LabCorp and Quest and all those companies. They had one in-house. So they would take those little vials, water them down, run the test, and then they basically cheated. And then the FDA approved them because they thought, oh, this is brilliant. In 2015, the Wall Street Journal publishes a damning report on Theranos. And that's when Carrie Rue interviews ex-employees who claim management is incompetent and has exaggerated the capability of the technology and is deceiving the public. Later that day, Holmes appears on Mad Money in an attempt to do damage control in the face of rampant accusations. Now, here's the funny thing. So Tyler Schultz, the grandson, this whole time, he's seeing what is going right. I think he started working for her in like 2017. He's seeing all this because he's working in the labs. And he's going back to his grandfather and he's telling him, something's not right. None of this checks out. I know these tests aren't accurate. I know they're doing the wrong thing. And his grandfather, his own grandfather, did not believe him. He was enamored of Elizabeth. He thought she was the most brilliant thing. By the way, the board had all these big hitters on it. It had the dean of uh, advisor, advisor from Stanford. It had all these huge hitters on it. So people were throwing money at it because they thought, oh, you know, someone from Stanford. How is she like the Pied Piper of these investors? Once you get one person behind you, like George Schultz, it's just a windfall. I thought that was a great opportunity. I mean, uh, Elizabeth was a family friend. You'd known her since she, she was a little girl. Did that go into your thinking in terms of your initial investment? No, we've been, I've been in the venture business a long time. I was the first investor in Tesla, first investor in Skype, first investor in Baidu, first investor in Hotmail. I always invest early. I invest when I see the vision, I see the opportunity, and I see the person who I think can make it there. I mean, we invest in, you know, a a girl and a dog or two guys and a cat. We, We just say, is this person going to dedicate their life and make something extraordinary happen? And yes, in that case, she was that person. So Tyler even told his grandfather, or Tyler told the press, or 
I mean, later on, he was saying, and he's, he's also got a book out called Thicker Than Water, and I highly recommend it. It's very good. It's his, his account of the events. So he's saying that they did this syphilis test, this this test, uh, like a test run, a syphilis test. Of, is this the slutty one? This is the slutty one. So they did this syphilis test. First, they did it at the office, right? And I think they took like 120 people or something and ran a syphilis test on them. And they all came back with syphilis, including him. Yeah. And and the higher people, I don't know if Elizabeth said it or what, but she's like, well, how do we know all these people don't have syphilis? I mean, you know, <laughs> I, that many people, so the FDA approves this test, even with the false positive, right? So they approve this test and they send it out to Arizona and like thousands of positive syphilis tests come back. And all these people are, are thinking in Arizona, like, man, are we just sluttier than the rest of the nation or what is going on? That's what, that's what the quote said. He said, he thought this would raise red flags, but somehow they passed the test onto the public in Arizona, which means at the time, Arizona probably felt sluttier than they actually were. I'm only quoting. I actually saying- said that. That's my quote. <laughs> okay. yes. So yes, Arizona- Arizonans felt very slutty and it came back that it- they were false positives. Let's pretend that he quoted that because I, I think it's a funny quote. Uh, yeah, because half of his company was a big ball of sluts by then, right? <laughs> So it, it keeps on going until he quits. And um, so he spent eight months in the company, right? Uh, after eight months, he said, I can't be a part of this. I need to quit. And he gets out and his mom calls him. By By the time he left the office, they didn't escort him out or anything. By the way, he got an email from, you know, he he aired his complaints to Elizabeth and Balwani saying there's something wrong with these yeah. tests. You know, they're not right. We need to take a look at this. So he gets an email that afternoon from Balwani saying, the only reason I've taken so much time away from work to address this personally is because you are Mr. Schultz's grandson. So it basically said they wouldn't even look at any other complaints from anyone. But the only reason they were looking at it is because their main board member who got all these yeah. billionaires on board to invest in this company was Mr. Schultz. So he left the company that day and his mom said, you know, don't do anything. And he's like, what? Don't do anything. And she said, you you know, they've already threatened you that they were going to threaten him. The Theranos company was threatening him that if he spoke to anyone, you know, they even sent the FBI to his house. Right. And his grandfather still didn't believe him. And his parents put almost $400,000 into defending their son even in court cases, in all these threats from the company. I don't know. I don't remember his exact words, but he said, well, they know, they know. So I called my grandfather and he said, Elizabeth tells me that you've been speaking, that you've been giving trade secrets away to the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, if this story gets published that, you know, essentially your career will be ruined, but... There's a one-page confidentiality agreement you can sign to just make it all go away. And so I go to his house the next morning, and he said, okay, well, there are actually two Theranos lawyers here right now. I was extremely nervous about what was going to happen, very uncomfortable with the whole situation. They come in, and they give me a notice to appear in court in about 36 hours, a temporary restraining order, and a letter signed by David Boyce. They really made me feel like I was alone. I was the underdog. I was going to get crushed. And they still didn't believe him. So finally, the Wall Street Journal reporter, John Kerry Rue, interviews some other whistleblowers who had actually worked at the company also. I feel like that'd be like a nickname for me, Kerry Rue. Kerry Rue. It's, so, it's hard to say. John Kerry Rue. Okay, so yes. So John Carreyrou goes out and gets these whistleblowers, and Tyler Schultz is one of them. And he said, the company itself has avoided or corrected almost 1 million blood tests in California and Arizona. And the lab director who was working at the Theranos until a few weeks ago was lobbying Elizabeth Elizabeth Holmes to void every single blood test the company ever returned. So that's over a million. And if she had followed this advice, we're talking about 8 million blood tests being voided or corrected. That's even more than a million. Eight, 8 million. Let me do the math here. Okay, so you have 1 and you have 8. So 1 plus 7 equals 8. 
8 million is more than 1 million. There we go. There we have it. That's my math for today. So 8 million tests were voided or corrected. They were all wrong. So there's people getting positive pregnancy tests who aren't pregnant. There was one woman who got a positive cancer, some type of cancer, some specific type of cancer. She got a positive test, started chemo. Turns out she didn't have cancer at all. Positive syphilis tests. That's a dangerous one because syphilis treated isn't so bad. Syphilis run amok with the slutty population can be oh, deadly. Oh, it can get in a neural, yeah, and it goes into neurological issues. Yeah, and it's birth defects and everything. And then you have to grow a nose on your arm. Did you ever see oh. uh, the Nick on Showtime? It, no. it was like about the Knickerbocker Hospital in the late eighteen you know really hundreds. And they, <laughs> she lost her nose to syphilis, so they grew a new nose on her inner arm. Yeah. I've just seen the the skulls Ugh. where they are look like sponges. Yeah. Oh, it's it's crazy. So that's a really dangerous one. And that's what Tyler was saying. Like you let all these people go out into public with a false test, false negative or a false positive. Or some of these dangerous. people can have the thin blood thinners and strokes and Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then fast forward to 2016, Walgreens suspends tests at its Theranos Wellness Center. So they're like, okay, something's not right here. We're going to get rid of all these. They're, they they were called Edison's. The machines were called Edison's, and they just absolutely didn't work. In 2017, they settle with one of the largest investors. Uh, the partner fund management, one of the company's largest investors, comes after PFM accuses them of securities fraud. So now she's in a little bit of hot water. She's in for what if she knows fraud. Epstein. Probably. I feel like she'd run in the same circles with him. 2018, Theranos charged with massive fraud. And I mean, this whole time, she's basically shoving it in Tyler Schultz's face. Like she was being invited to George Schultz's 95, 95th birthday. She was invi- being invited to Thanksgiving. I'd be so mad. It's such, that is such a... It's not a Jane Austen, but it, it's like a book where yeah. you're watching this this shady character getting yeah. reference, and you're the one in the family, and you're trying to like prove it. She's basically Tyler. Stepmother. It's Elizabeth. <laughs> Your grandpa hates you. You suck. I got invited to the birthday, and you didn't. You're a loser. He loves me more than you. I mean, I don't know what she wanted with that family. So. In 2018, June of 2018, Holmes and Balwani indicted on 11 counts of fraud and conspiracy. I bet he takes the blame for her. Yeah, I engaged. Because he's under her spell. Yes, finding that the pair had engaged in a multi-million dollar scheme to defraud investors and a separate scheme to defraud doctors and patients. In the wake of the indictment, Holmes steps down as CEO but remains on the company's board. And on September, they shutter the company. And in January of 2019, Justice Department is reviewing millions of pages of documents. I heard that in 2020, Balwani asked if he could go back to India to see his sick mother. I wonder how it worked out with the travel restrictions, restrictions, Sammy. But um, Did he come back? I don't know. You know who her, her dad was? Who? The vice president of Enron. What? Yeah. I did not know that. How did I not know that? Yeah. She was born in Washington, D.C. I remember hearing like a podcast at the beginning of it. And they said that she was from this area from Alexandria. I live in Alexandria. Uh I think she might have even been in Alexandria or went to school here. And it says that her father was a vice president at Enron. His name was Christian Rasmus Holmes, the fourth. Oh, God. Anyone who's number four means the first three were crap and they had to have a fourth one to yeah write the, write the shit, <laughs> and then her mom worked as a congressional committee staffer are you serious yeah that's what that's what it says and you know they always told her she was like destined for great things right but you kind of yep. need a medical background or a biology background i think that's what tyler was she said that too. she was going to study chemical engineering yeah no, she but she didn't. didn't stay there very long she stayed two semesters i think and that's what alerted carrie rue to start investigating he's like how could someone with two semesters of school and not even you know it takes years and years and years for medical doctors to receive nobel prizes on their inventions and their you know biologists to receive any credit for anything they create and she was doing this with two semesters obviously it didn't work there's 
certain people that have this gift of gab but their trial keeps in. getting pushed and now that she's with child unto I, I know i think she'll get off i think she'll get like five years home you think yeah house arrest or whatever i think a lot of a lot of people are getting either the trials are getting delayed or they're getting house arrest or they're getting out sooner because of covid do you think she's gonna have a prison baby no, I think no, because she they asked for it to push back till after she get delivers. But did they get it? I don't know. They asked for she's due in July, and they asked for August thirty first. Oh, so she's going to nurse from prison. Do they let her take? Do they like in in a normal prison population? If you have your we'll baby you in prison, send yeah, the, and they, send they will the send milk. Yeah, or they will keep the baby in a prison nursery so you can yeah. nurse the child. Do you think they'll send her? baby to prison no i think that trial is going to take a while well she'll be in federal prison and she'll too. appeal it then she, yeah then she'll appeal it she'll go to white collar crime prison. she'll do like a year in club fed yeah and i one of them the colonel used to play golf it was located on the air force base actually el chapo was at one of the ones on i think was at homestead or one of the ones in florida and he wow. escaped from it well no so wonder. tell me how he was able to escape from an air for from an air force base prison but one of the ones the colonel i think it was in alabama it was it's a it literally on the golf course and you would and the guys would go out there and they would have a baseball team and they'd oh wear my their God. whites and all that yeah I've seen pictures and stuff of their baseball team and all that oh for all the white collar criminals. To be fair, Guzman was a brilliant hole digger. He could dig his oh, way out of anything. He was like Looney Tunes. It was it was literally an episode of is it Looney Tunes? Yeah, where, where they get the spoon and they're like digging. This yeah, thing. but yeah, or but or the the movie Holes yeah. where. <laughs> I'm tired of this, Grandpa. That's too damn bad. You keep digging. Yes. I mean, literally, the the guy was like, could dig underground like no other. He could tunnel like a rat, my friend. Amazing. I'm so scared of enclosed spaces. I couldn't even. No, I have a hard time with an MRI. I kind of lose my basket with that. Do you ever feel like you have to go into stuff like that and they'll be like, all right, hold still. And then that's when you're, yeah. you can't, you can't even think about so it. Like, oh my God, I have to pee. Oh my God. I'm having heart palpitations. Oh my God. I'm having yeah, a stroke. I need to, I need to get face. out of here. I need I to scratch my face. Am I going to mess up the test? Oh my God. Yes. So that was Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. I, it just came up in the news. Please take us out with her voice. Tell, tell mm. our listener, tell Elizabeth, please tell our listeners to. Find us on at Sipshine Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please, Elizabeth. Hey, everyone. This is Elizabeth <laughs> Holmes. Please find Sipshine Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and anywhere else. Sipshine Pod signing out. I'm with child, by the way. Ciao, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlist of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up.
The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guests co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue podcast or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.